0: Hey, everyone. Tim here. We love doing Heritage Explains, and because of you, our loyal listeners, we continue to grow. But there are a few ways that you can help us even more. Wherever it is you listen to us, you can, one, click the button to subscribe. Two, you can give us a five-star rating. And three, you can write us a positive review. Now, every time you do this, it reflects in our standing and ranking. The more clicks and interaction we get from individuals in our audience, the more promotion we get, and that allows us to gain a stronger foothold against our tough competition on the left. Most of all, thank you so much for passing us on to your friends and family. By doing this, you become messengers right along with us. So, thank you so much for your partnership and your support. Now on to the episode. From the Heritage Foundation, I'm Tim Descher, and this is Heritage Explains. As the race to which country can develop a 5G network fastest heats up, we're learning more and more how much of a boon to the economy it would be. Here's Brent Scorp on this podcast talking about the U.S. and why it's important to continue to push forward to win the race. The U.S. is head and shoulders above everyone else when it comes to an apps economy and, and apps jobs and, and Uber and Lyft and, and all these mobile companies that we're familiar with almost all of them are based in the US. And so that's that's why this race the 5G is 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 a term there comes a benefit from being the first, from being the ones that induce all the innovators to come to your country and design apps for your country. He's right. Since that episode aired in late 2018, we're reading all sorts of estimates that the winner of the 5G race would see anywhere from a half a trillion to a trillion dollars of additional investment in the economy. In other words, whoever's first to 5G will be in Fat City. But we're not the only ones saying this. Here's the President of the United States, Donald Trump. The race to 5G is a race America must win, and it's a race, frankly, that our great companies are now involved in. 5G networks must be secure. They must be strong. They have to be guarded from the enemy. We do have enemies out there. The president understands that this 5G race is not just about economic dominance, but it's also about our national security. Given how much we've talked about China on this podcast— It should come as no surprise that they are one of our biggest competitors in this race. And if they win, they could have a huge advantage over us and our allies. So it wasn't great when this happened last week.
1: Senators on both sides of the aisle today slamming the British government's decision to allow Chinese telecom giant Huawei to help build Britain's next-generation 5G network. Democrats warning the Chinese-owned company presents a direct threat to America and its allies. Republicans like Tom Cotton going a step further, warning the Chinese Communist Party will now have a foothold to conduct pervasive espionage on British society. Prime Minister Boris Johnson's decision to welcome Huawei comes after a year-long campaign by the White House to get the UK to follow America's lead and ban Chinese equipment.
0: So what are the consequences when you're in a race like this and one of your teammates starts running the wrong way?
1: What the United Kingdom did outside of its own kind of security risk that it's assuming? really does set the conditions for the Chinese communist government to secure a strategic stronghold in the European continent that I think would have been unimaginable just even two years ago. Klon
0: Kitchen is a senior research fellow for science, technology, and national security here at the Heritage Foundation. On this episode, he catches us up on where we are in the 5G race and helps us understand the implications of Britain's decision to allow Huawei To develop their 5G network. Klon, we've talked about winning the 5G race in economic terms. That was a while ago. So I want to kind of bring us back up to speed before we get into um, today's topic. The number that I have, I've seen, is anywhere from a half a trillion to a trillion dollars in economic activity to whoever the winner of the 5G race is. It's very significant. But now, given the news last week um, on how the U.K. is allowing Huawei to build parts of Britain's 5G network, I'm really hoping you can shed some light, and uh, it just adds a completely different dimension. So, why don't you start us off? What is Huawei, and why is it bad that Britain is doing business with them?
1: Sure. So, Huawei is a Chinese telecommunications company. Uh, and it is, you know, for all intents and purposes, the only company on the planet who can unilaterally uh, develop, build, deploy, and manage a 5G network. So other companies around the world can do parts of that. The fact that they can do it all kind of end to end is really significant. Um, their equipment works. So their 5G networks, uh, when they build them, I mean, they, they, they function, uh, they're good, they're, they're also much cheaper. And one of the reasons why they're much cheaper is because they're heavily subsidized by the Chinese government. Mm-hmm. And so uh, in China, there's a, a government approach, to, uh, and it's particularly uh, acute in technology industry. It's called um, military-civil fusion, where the government and private industry cooperate as a means of kind of extending Chinese influence around the globe. So when we start talking about the United Kingdom using Huawei equipment uh, and and why that's a problem is because as they deploy that equipment, as that equipment is built, um, it constitutes a, a series of risks. Uh, there's the general cybersecurity risk, and we can go into all that if you want. Uh, But then there's also kind of a strategic geopolitical risk. And the reality is, is that none of those risks are actually being effectively mitigated in this decision by the UK, which is why they're getting all the, the heat from the United States that they are.
0: And the UK says, don't worry, don't, Klon, don't worry. Uh, the, Chinese, the Chinese company Huawei will be given access to non-core parts of the network, but will be banned from sensitive locations such as military nuclear sites. You said, and I love this quote in your recent piece. I'm going to link to it as well, folks, so, so log on to it. You said, why bother with the struggle of leaving the European Union only to run into the arms of
1: the communist Chinese? <laughs> Yeah, so, so there's two points there, right? So the first one is this idea that you can isolate uh, Chinese uh, providers like Huawei to non-core or, or non-essential pieces of the network. That is a very kind of 4G way of thinking. All right, so I want to be simple here. Yeah, 5G is about more than faster phones. When we talk about 5G, what we're actually talking about is what will constitute the central nervous system of the new economy. And so um, one of the things that enables the um, kind of speed and data throughput improvements on 5G over 4G is the fact that um, in previous iterations of the wireless network, it was divided into kind of three big categories. There was the core, which is uh, where a lot of the computing happens. There's the cloud, which is the space in between. And then there's the edge. So that's where you and I are using our phones out there in the wild, right? Right. Well, a lot of those divisions before 5G were hardware-defined, which means you had a specific piece of hardware that only existed on that part of the network. In 5G, one of the things that allows the performance improvements is that all of those distinctions are essentially eroded. Mm -hmm. They're software-defined. They're not hardware-defined. And so whereas in the past, you could build a um, containment strategy, and that's what the United Kingdom did. Huawei's been in the UK wireless networks for a decade or so. Okay. Yeah. And so on 4G, you could kind of isolate them. Uh, on 5G, that is a much uh, riskier proposition than it was previously. And so what what they're doing is it's a little bit of a cybersecurity shell game because they'll say things like, well, well, they only use non-essential antenna." Well, again, there's a lot of data that bounces off of that antenna, and. The full complement of what 5G is going to be able to do, and more importantly, how it might be exploited, isn't fully understood yet. And so they're essentially making a cosmic bet that they're going to be able to um, forestall one of the globe's premier cybersecurity threats.
0: So this is a, a cost-saving measure from the UK? They see this as a cheap, viable way to spread 5G throughout the nation then, I, I assume.
1: Yeah, that's well, I mean, look, and it's true um, – Huawei is a third of the price of anybody else. Wow. Right? Now, we were recently, myself and a couple of colleagues were in Europe, and we were having this conversation, and we made kind of two points. Number one, okay, well, if if Huawei is able to offer their services at a third of the price, if profit isn't their motive, what do you think is?
0: Hmm.
1: Right? The, the, the reason they can do that is because they're so heavily subsidized by the Chinese government. And so – you know, a, an illustration that we'd use with them is like, look, if I showed you two TVs and I said, this one on the right, HD, super awesome, shows you every pore in a football player's face. Uh, it's only $30, but it records everything you do and it could explode one day. But then I say, this HD TV over here is exactly the same and it's on my left. It won't explode and it doesn't record what you do, but it's $300. Okay. Well, the price of that TV is not $30. Right. The price of that, the market price of that is 300 well, the U.K. is looking at the $30 TV and saying, "Ah, eh, we'll risk it. And the United States and its other partners and allies are saying that is a catastrophic mistake, and you cannot continue to operate that way.
0: So is this a—and and again, I'm, I'm sort of a neophyte when it comes to this, so I appreciate you explaining it. But is this a backdoor into uh, U.S. secrets, U.S. technology, U.S. security, or is this just us saying, don't set a precedent—
1: So there's a couple things. We have a couple of concerns. So let's start with the basic cybersecurity concerns. So Huawei is known uh, to have some significant cybersecurity vulnerabilities. Their stuff just leaks like a sieve, right? Some of that's just part of this stuff. I mean, there's always problems. So Huawei's no different in that sense. But um, the United Kingdom already has a dedicated agency for assessing the threat of Huawei being in their 4G wireless networks, which tells you everything you need to know. Right. But that, is, that agency has made multiple assessments now where they've said, uh, hey, they're not responsive. When we show them vulnerabilities, they don't address them to the point to where they've actually made the assessment formally you know, in a public uh, report that, hey, we can't guarantee national security anymore, right? So that's one. Um, two, there's the broader geostrategic security side of this where even if Huawei were able to secure all of their networks tomorrow, you still have the problem of Chinese law, which says... Any information that touches or is collected upon or in any other way you know, lands on a Chinese company's networks, even a Chinese company that's operating in the United Kingdom, that information is considered Chinese information by Beijing. Wow. It must be exfiltrated back to the Chinese, and it must be made available to the Chinese intelligence service. So that's by law. So even if it's encrypted and super awesome, and all the networks in the UK are are secure, you have the underlying Chinese law problem, which the UK isn't even beginning to address. Let alone well, that was
0: my question. I mean, that's pretty base. You know it. You would think that the people making decisions in the UK would know that. And and what would their response to that be? We can mitigate it. We can we can provide safe alternatives to this? I, I don't get it.
1: Well, so far, the only answer they've given is, hey, look over there, right? I mean, so the, they've allowed the conversation to orient off of that underlying cybersecurity concern, that first concern that I raised. Right. They've said, no, no, we think we can mitigate it, and they've had enough people tell them that they think they can, mm. but they haven't addressed the broader geostrategic challenge of the way China deals with kind of data writ large. And then, the, you know, I said there are three issues. The, the third and final issue coming out of the wake of this decision is my concern that I think this demonstrates that a key partner and ally, the United Kingdom, fundamentally misunderstands the Chinese threat. The fact that they're not dealing with that second point that I've made about data, it demonstrates that they are either willfully ignorant or just ignorant, Hmm. and both are Unacceptable. And what we're concerned now is that this UK decision is going to create a moment for kind of a European jailbreak for everybody else to follow that idea, and say, well, we've got political cover. If if the kind of the country with a special relationship with the United States can do this, well, then we will too. You wrote about Prime Minister uh, Boris Johnson
0: saying, "Well, what's the alternative? You know, um, this is something that we need. Rural people need access to five G." You know, they they want to stay up, they want to stay modern, and they want to make it cost-effective. Um, is there is there another
1: option for them? So there are. Um, I want to be clear, this is not a cost-less, you know, the strategy I'm articulating, like, get Huawei out of your systems, that's not an inexpensive play. I mean, it, that's real. And part of that goes back to decisions that the United Kingdom made a decade ago in terms of Huawei. I think those costs can be managed. Um It is also true that any delay in the deployment of 5G will risk not being able to realize some of the economic benefits that come with 5G, and those will be considerable. So Mm -hmm. I don't pretend like this is an easy choice. I do think it is a simple choice, right? And on the what is the alternative, there are alternative uh, companies. They're not as well positioned as Huawei. They certainly are more expensive than Huawei, but all of that can be managed. And the point that I made in that, in that article is that, look, the question, what is the alternative, in one sense, is a very fair question. And the United States and, and other allies need to have a good answer for that. Uh, one, of, one of those answers would be, why don't you encourage a British telecommunications company that can meet your long-term needs? Yes. But it's also true, and I say this in the article, that when a friend is telling you, hey, don't put that loaded gun to your head, a, a reasonable answer to that is not, well, what's the alternative? No, just put the gun down, right? Mm. And that's what's going on with the with the Johnson government, where we're just asking a friend to think carefully about its future.
0: And what about other friends in, in European nations following in uh, the UK's lead
1: here? Is that a concern? Yeah, certainly. So right now, what we see is an uneven response. So we had a number of, of countries that had responded before the UK made its decision. Germany and France seem to be taking the issue very seriously they're still kind of rolling around in their mind how they're going to ultimately uh, kind of respond to Huawei. Other countries like Italy, you know, they've already actually signed an agreement to join uh, China's predatory uh, Belt and Road Initiative, which is a trading agreement where they take advantage of European countries. And so, look, what the United Kingdom did outside of its own kind of security risk that it's assuming really does set the conditions for the Chinese communist government. To secure a strategic stronghold in the European continent that I think would have been unimaginable just even two years ago. Yeah. I mean so look, Huawei is is poised to realize as much as fifty percent of the global five G market. And that has implications for, you know, everybody who's who's participating in, in Europe and in other words, but it also has implications for the United States. A lot of people don't know that when the United States military deploys, a huge portion of our communications travel over private networks. Right. And so If we're operating globally and a significant portion of that global network infrastructure is run by the Chinese, well, that exposes not only our data to – you know, potential risk, but also their ability to maybe throttle down this network speeds and prevent us from being able to do the type of warfare that we've grown accustomed to yeah you're seeing stories
0: pop up all over the news right now about how the u.s is falling behind in developing our 5g network as compared to China and and you know you alluded to the fact that it's well it's pretty easy when you have a communist government that that subsidizes everything and and takes no prisoners when it comes to um, developing networks all over the world. My question then, and and we can end with this one, um, unless you say something really, really interesting, and then I'll follow up, but I promise we'll end with this one. I just want to know, is the U.S. so far behind that we can't catch up?
1: Okay, so no. So in terms of the actual technology, we're not behind, right? So we we have, the Chinese don't know anything that we don't know. In fact, they stole most of what we know. That's how they got to where they are. So we're not behind in that sense, but because we're taking more, because we've decided that they won't participate in our networks, and because there's not a kind of trusted U.S. company uh, that can unilaterally do this, you know, um, we're pulling together um, a, a host of. of of policies and of opportunities to deploy 5G in a secure, fast way. And there's a lot of conversations that go into this in terms of which spectrum do we use and all that kind of stuff. But Yeah, the bottom wonky line, stuff. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but the bottom line is, is I'm not worried about the U.S.'s competitiveness on this issue. I am genuinely concerned about how our partners and allies, who frankly do not have the industrial base domestically to support the type of innovation that we do. Uh, and that's fundamentally... You know, the the hard truth that we want to say to a friend like the United Kingdom but to Europe writ large is that choices that they have made economically for decades, the inability to deliver on all of these cradle-to-grave entitlement promises is now leaving governments who are bleeding legitimacy within their populations. And they don't have a domestic uh, technology industry to speak of, and so they're looking for any and all occasions to deliver in some way or fashion – and so, when we start having the conversation about 5G and Huawei, that's the context and the idea of taking an understandably difficult choice of delaying that and all the economic benefits for a long-term national security good, that's that's something that a lot of politicians in Europe seem not to be willing to do. Thanks so
0: much for being here this week. Yeah, my pleasure. And that's it for another episode of Heritage Explains. Thanks so much for listening and supporting us. I've linked to Klon's work as well as our previous episode on 5G in the show notes. So if you'd like, you can keep the fun going by logging on. Remember, you can always email us at managingeditor@heritage.org. We'd love to hear from you. And don't forget to leave us a five-star rating and a comment. Or more importantly, go ahead and share us with your friends and family. I'll be back next week for a Roundup on Brexit. Heritage Explains is produced by Michelle Cordero and Tim Descher, with editing by Thalia Rampersad.